Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. Putting STEM into the classroom. Hi there. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. I'm the host, Chris Woods. When we talk about STEM or science, technology, engineering, and math, we think often of all the technology and, and interesting stuff of today. But I think uh, one of the things that you can do as a teacher or even as a parent is you can encourage your kids and your students to talk to some great resources right around them. And that's grandparents, uh, people who have, who have used all those things, science, technology, engineering, and math, and they've used it in the past. And you can, you can hear some pretty amazing stories, get your kids to write about them, think about them, even start uh, researching and looking at some interesting things from the past. And it might even inspire them or give them some ideas of, of what they could do in, in the now or in the future. I've got a, a very special guest with me today. My grandpa is with me. Hi there, Grandpa. Hi, Eric. Uh, Eric. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Chris. <laughs> Eric is my brother, and it's that's always that's always the fun part. Um, my my Grandpa is a is a very spry uh, man, born in uh, 1925 on Christmas Day. Definitely a a, a gift to our family. Um, it was neat. Last night we were talking. Started kindergarten, or no, he didn't have kindergarten. You started first grade when you were only four years old. He started because his sister was older, and it was, and he had to walk to school with her because she couldn't walk alone. So starting first grade at age four, how old were you when you graduated then? I graduated from high school when I was 16. 16. Then you, you said you had gone off and, and taken a college course at Central Michigan University. And I took a summer course at Dow Chemical Request for 90 days, and there were 60 of us. And when we're done with the course, they hired everyone who was 18 years old and didn't wear glasses. So I was a hanging out loose. So just because he wasn't he wasn't old enough, he uh, he didn't get. Didn't get hired by Dow Chemical, but that ended up working out uh, pretty well. Some of the really neat technology that I, I, I like enjoy, uh, I enjoy hearing my grandpa talk about is, is some of the things that he did in, in communications and in radio when he was uh, part of the Navy. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about that. Well, from boot camp, they took me right when the things were getting worse over in the islands. And they made a 16-week boot camp in four weeks and five days. Yeah. Then you went and learned at, uh, you call it communication school? or Well, from boot camp, they gave us tests, and they selected about 5 to 10% of us and sent us to special schools. And the rest, many of them went right directly into the what they called amphibs for the landings in the islands. I was fortunate that I had uh, typing in high school, and I, I got into radio communications, learning the Morse code to send it by hand and, and receive it. 
on a typewriter. Mm-hmm. And from that school, they sent uh, about 35 of us to down to Texas A&M for an advanced school in the use of the transmitters and receivers, not just the copying. From there, uh, they sent me to uh, Cheltenham Navy Base uh, out near Washington, D.C., and taught us about receivers, how to tune them and so forth. And after a couple of weeks there, they sent us to the Annapolis to a transmitter station. We learned how to tune a transmitter. So you you traveled a lot of different places. They they yes. taught you a lot of different things. Yes, fortunately, if you know a little bit, they can take you and teach you so much more, and you can use all these math things that you think nobody ever uses. <laughs> They're a big thing in the industrial world. Yeah. You were telling me, too, that uh, you were one of the few kids in some of those classes that didn't have, uh, didn't know about calculus or things like or that. Trigonometry. Yeah. I, I, had, I went to a small school, and they didn't teach those. There weren't enough students, hardly, to take algebra and geometry. But they were required. So you had to kind of pick it up along the way. Just I had to pick up enough to get past the tests. So you, you ended up in Washington, D.C., where you were getting signals all the way from... Well, it was Guam and Honolulu and one on the West Coast. Anyway, all these signals came into us where we they were printed out on a printer in Japanese and uh, punched a tape in the Bodo code that we could run through little tape readers and uh, break down the code, what they said, and do things that suited us. So a lot of a lot of technology that was completely different than uh, than all the different types of technology today. But still, at that time, I mean, did did they ever use the phrase high tech? I mean, they always say high tech today. Oh no. No, there wasn't any very much technical about driving horses. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I mean, the things that you guys were doing there, I mean, you talked about you had to keep, you had a whole, like a box that was a, almost like about a foot cube size, and it had a, a tuning fork. It had a tuning fork in it that <clears throat> set up the frequency to run the receiver faceplate. It was a mechanical faceplate with uh, five fingers on it to pick up the knowledge. And it sounded almost like, if you could if you could imagine like a record that kind of spins around in a circle, it was almost circular and based on where things bumped, it was like a record, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that was, that's pretty much it. And, yes. and they had one similar, or they had the same one at the other end sending those signals and, and everything had to be yeah, ours had to be in synchronized spot on the disc to theirs. It was varied 
if the code, the edge of the code was not exactly the same as theirs, it would send a little increase in uh, power to the tuning fork, heat the air in there, would change the speed of the vibration. Hmm. And, or, or it could lower it. But these would sit there 24 hours a day and run the same speed at both ends. Wow. All done mechanically. Yeah. Now it's... Digital. Digital. Yeah. Uh, it's so much faster and yeah. so much harder for me to understand. <laughs> <laughs> but my grandpa, it's, you know, I mean, one one thing that's always amazed me about you is when computers came along, I mean, you had, you got a computer and you wanted to figure out how to do it. You went and took classes and figured them out. And my, my grandpa's good. At, he'll email me, especially when I email him back. And, <laughs> He'll, uh, he'll check Facebook and uh, all those things. So pretty pretty good for a young guy. Now, you also worked, once you got out of the service, you worked at the company ACO. And, uh, Correct. You made, made cables and, and all sorts of things. Some pretty amazing opportunities just making metal cables for things. If uh, some company wanted a control made, to a certain use, we would develop the controls and, and uh, send them samples, and they would uh, make alterations and dimensions possibly and make them work yeah. to do do a, whatever operation they wanted. We also made the control cables for the first moon buggy to feed the. Uh, clutch and the steering and the speed and so forth. And that can't be just a, a typical cable. You have to... That cable had to withstand extreme slow, low speed temperature and high temperature. And so it was... Uh, you didn't have any plastic in it, that's for sure. Yeah, and then I thought it was interesting you told me how you had to make three of them. Well, we made three of everything... And then took one of them and ran it through a series of tests, destruction tests, and had to record all this information and sent it to NASA. And they took it and they destroyed one more. And if both, all those operated correctly, then they would put the the third one in the moon buggy. Pretty neat to think that something that, that you've made is sitting up there, probably still ready. Still ready to go. If, uh, if we get back there, <laughs> and if any of any of your students ever go, um, uh, you, yeah. they can they can take a look at a part that my, my grandpa uh, helped make. One of the other interesting things you were telling me about uh, some of the cables. Uh, tow cables? Tow cables. Tow cables for... Uh, aircraft to fire at uh, out over the oceans to uh, learn to handle their uh, firing equipment. And that was fine for a while, and then they got jet planes. And when the jet plane would turn and the flame would hit the cable, it would burn it in two. <laughs> so then we had to develop a... Uh, coat, coat of arms, sort of, to fit over that. That would hang 
so many feet behind the jet so that when they turned, this covering cable would take the heat away from the operating cable. So you had to, you had to figure out different ways and different products and, and you know, when, when there's one problem, you gotta, you gotta find a new, new solution for it. So a lot of neat things. And I think it's a great opportunity if you can get your kids to take an opportunity to talk to their grandparents or maybe some other people that they know even there's plenty of uh, people with some great stories of, of history and, and things that they've done, and, and it can inspire your kids to, to learn some new things. Hope you've enjoyed listening to me chat with my grandpa. Thanks again for talking and sharing some of those things. Hope you uh, join us again for another STEM Everyday podcast. You're listening to this podcast on the SDAC Broadcasting Network. To find more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit RemarkableChatter.com.